you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It is the day after three days of the NFL draft. It's a little bit surprising. Only two players from University of Washington were drafted, but a number of free agents. Lots to talk about, lots to digest. But I think first on the board was um, Jacob Eason going to Indianapolis in the fourth round. And we've been talking about quite some time before the draft that Indianapolis was one of the teams that was talked to Jacob Eason and just a lot of different this year's draft but Chris any surprise at him dropping this fall this far maybe a little bit but I saw some mocks that had him going in the fourth round to Indianapolis some of them had him right on um, I think you know to be honest when you had that first group when you looked at Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa and um, Justin Herbert Justin yeah even Justin Herbert um, you know you had that initial group and then after that it kind of dropped off a little bit. Surprising to me that Jalen Hurts went in the second round to Philadelphia. Um, that, to me, was a little bit of a reach, but who knows? But after that group, that, that first group of guys, it, it really was going to be kind of a crapshoot as to who needed Because, to be honest with you, there weren't a ton of teams out there that really needed a lot of quarterback help. And those that were were at the top of the list. You know, teams like, you know, uh, Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles Chargers, or Cleveland, or not Cleveland, but Cincinnati. But you know, I mean, just you know, the teams at the top of the list were the ones that really needed the help. So, um, right. but I think it's a, a great, great landing spot for Eason in terms of uh, going to a place where he can learn from a consummate pro like Philip Rivers, a guy who he can learn his routine day in and day out, and go yep. from there, and then. Um, you know, maybe being being given the keys to the car once once Rivers retires. And Scott, what I'm tending to see, and tell me if you agree with this. You know, you know, I talked to John Clayton a little bit, a couple of other people, but you have you know different groups of teams out there. Um, you know, guys in the NFL who took quarterbacks the last couple of years and still trying to figure who's panned out. You have people who have their quarterbacks. You have a few teams that need quarterbacks today. And then you've also got some teams tanking for next year, you know, that have their eyes on Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So um, it's just a little bit different uh, scenario this year for the draft when it comes to quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's a different scenario. I think you see this every year. You have different levels of team needs at quarterback. You know, Cincinnati needed a quarterback. They had to have a quarterback. And Joe Burrow was the best guy in the draft and probably the second most talented guy in the draft uh, behind Chase Young. So he was a no-brainer to take. Then you have uh, teams like uh, San Diego and Miami who ended up taking Tonga Bailoa and Herbert. And I would say both of those teams had to reach a little bit. I, look, Tonga Bailoa, if we weren't talking about an injury, it was probably the number one overall draft choice. But we are talking about an injury and who knows how well he's going to do 
coming back from that injury. So I think he was a little overdrafted because of what uh, the Dolphins needed. And then I think Justin Herbert was drafted a little higher than he probably should have been because he probably was more of a 20 to 25 guy and he gets drafted. What was it? Fifth overall, I think it was. So, so, um, so um, I just, I just don't think that, that you can really um, say that this year is any different than others. Um, what I like about Easton's situation is like, we've kind of talked about, we talked about in other times was that, He's coming in behind a, uh, you know, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback who's in his one year, probably with Indianapolis, possibly two years with Indianapolis, and he'll get to sit and learn behind him and how to prepare, how to study, how to do all those different things, and hopefully he takes it to heart. More importantly, Scott, is the two quarterbacks on the roster for Indianapolis right now, both Philip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett. They're both on one-year contracts. Yeah, so, I think uh, Brissett's gone. I think he's going to get traded. Yeah, so it'll he may go. He might wind up going back to New England, where he was before he was traded to Indianapolis, because it's not like New England has a quarterback, and they're one of the teams to be rumored, you know, trying to tank this year to get a chance at one of the top two quarterbacks for next year. You know, it sure seemed like Miami was trying to tank this year for a chance at either to a Tagovailoa or. Um, Joe Burrow, you know, at the end of the year. So I don't, if you take a look at all the teams that could have drafted Jacob Eason, I think he's in the best scenario he could possibly get. And Chris, you know, this as well as I do, I'd rather be a fourth round draft pick in the right situation than a second round draft pick in the wrong situation. And right now I think Jacob Eason's in the perfect situation for him. Sure. For quarterbacks, it's, it's paramount. And as, Scott kind of pointed out the pecking order the way it is. I mean, Brissett is a guy that, you know, maybe even Seattle takes a flyer on him again. I mean, you never know, given what Seattle's situation is behind Russell Wilson. Um, I know that they picked up um, Anthony Gordon as an undrafted free agent, but who knows how these things work out. But, again, the situation with Eason under Phillip Rivers makes total sense. He can be an understudy. He can learn all of the tips of the trade and just kind of how he can, um, you know, be the consummate pro that he needs to be because whether he likes it or not, one of the knocks on him going into the draft was that people questioned how much he loved it, how much he really needed it, whether, you know, it's something he would die for and, and how committed he was in it. And I don't necessarily question those things. I think that he was a great teammate. I think there's a lot of people out there that are vouching for him, whether it's a Hunter Bryant or some of his guys, even back in Georgia. But when it comes down to it, the NFL front offices had question marks and they questioned some of those things. And um, he needs to just go out there and take his opportunity and prove it because I think he can. When you talk about a perfect situation, Scott, Nick Harris going to Cleveland, is there a better situation for Nick, Cle Nick Harris? He seems to fit perfectly into that mentality and the dog pound back in uh, Cleveland. Yeah, he does. And honest, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't looked up the depth chart, but um, from what I've heard, he's, they're expecting him to come in and battle for that starting gig uh, right away. And he's been snapping out of the shotgun. He's been doing it for two years now. He's used to it. Um, you know, he's going to be snapping to Baker Mayfield. And, and um, I like where, where he's, he's headed, you know, it's, it's a nice situation. You know, there's a couple other teams that I could have saw as good fits for him. But, yeah, I, I think from a mentality standpoint, workmanlike, blue collar, all that kind of stuff that we – all the cliches that you talk about, 
Nick Harris fits in perfectly with the with the uh, Cleveland program and the culture over there. A lot of surprise that a lot of the guys from University of Washington didn't get drafted, but you know a lot of the experts that I have talked to and listened to this draft of the trend seem to be not to reach as much. You know, go for the things that you know. You know, and if there's you know pause injuries or that, you know, a lot of them weren't willing to take the risk. And people like Savon Ahmed. Um, Hunter Bryant and um, you know, uh, Trey Adams, they just weren't able to get visits into some of these teams to get cleared medical-wise. And with those question marks out there and the inability for teams to really dive into that, I think it really hurt them, Chris. I think it did. And I think also just kind of a function of the way the draft works, guys, is that if a guy like a Hunter Bryant or a Trey Adams, Trey Adams, if they don't get drafted by the fourth or fifth round, it, it's almost better for them to be picked up as undrafted free agents for both them and the, and the teams involved. That's why you saw so many punters and kickers and, and whatnot get picked up in the sixth and seventh rounds. That's when they're starting to kind of pick up the scraps, but they know in the kind of the – the feeding frenzy right after the draft is over, trying to get some of these uh, top undrafted guys that they can get them for a, for a fraction of the price that they would have been able to, if they had to draft them in the seventh round, for instance. And, and sometimes that's when they'll go for reaches from maybe the lower levels from the smaller schools too. So in some ways, you know, the draft kind of works, you know, it doesn't really work in the player's favor if they do have things that are question marks, whether it's injury related, whether it's conduct, whether it's personal stuff, you just don't know. And so I think for some reason in the end result, guys like Hunter and Trey really um, kind of suffered from it. And I think part of it is also with the virus and the pandemic, those are two guys that would probably have gone back to Indianapolis for the medical recheck, maybe a month later after the combine but it didn't happen. They didn't have it. They didn't have it. And you couldn't travel back for it anyway. So there were just a number of things that happened that kind of conspired to, to for all those guys that, that, uh, you know, kind of ended up having them sign as free agents. Yeah. And as much as, you know, people might think that Jacob Eason dropped long ways, I don't think it's a surprising. I think a lot of people expect Hunter Bryant to go, um, in the draft and, you know, go, you know, at least third, fourth, fifth round. And he goes undrafted, Scott. Yeah. Um, I, I think part of it was he had some struggles catching the ball last year. He also isn't the dynamic athlete that we got used to when he was coming out of high school and in his first year at Washington, he's had an in injury history and um, he had some drop history. And, and I think there was some questions about, about those things. There's no questioning the guy's work ethic. There's no questioning his athleticism and things like that. But, but sometimes it's a lot more than that. And, and you can, you know, like you said, Kim teams just weren't willing to take the risk on a lot of these guys who have had some injuries. So, um, you know, a hunter is a great kid and comes from a good family. And, and um, I have a feeling he's going to go in and impress some people, but it, he's got an uphill battle, especially with the fact that he just is a lot slower than the guy that I remember coming out of high school. Well, not only is he slower, Scott, you know, you've got to take a look, especially at tight ends. What's the one thing he does really well? Is it blocking like Will Disley? Because Will was widely regarded as the best block tight end in the draft when he got drafted. Yeah, um, he, yeah, he's not, he's not the high-end blocker. He's, 
I wouldn't say with the way he – I would have said him being a receiver is what really would have set him apart, but he had so many drops this year. Now I can't say that. And then with the – and then I would have said, oh, well, he was a good route runner. He could get open. Well, with his struggles with injuries, he's not able to get open anymore. So I don't know if he does any one thing as well as he used to do them. Yeah, and I think that was a big issue when you take a look at the Seahawks, you know, drafting Colby Parkinson. You know, the thing that Colby Parkinson does real well, he does six, seven and a half really well. So, you mm-hmm. know, when you take a look, you know, I mean, if you're the Seahawks and you're taking a look at those two guys, a Colby Parkinson or a Hunter Bryant, choose one. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's yeah. a, a no brainer. And Chris, you've known Hunter for a long, long time. I, I also think that he was he's kind of that tweener guy, you know, was a tight end. He wasn't a real physical blocker. And, you know, you use him wide out and he had a case of the drops, you know. So, you know, where does he fit? Yeah, it's tough to know, to be honest. And But it is interesting that you guys mentioned the Seahawks. You know, when they go after a guy like Colby Parkinson, but then they actually use a pick from next year to get back into the last round to get a guy like Stephen Sullivan from LSU who is – kind of a tweener as well it makes you wonder how they you know if they didn't see some of the same attributes in a guy like Hunter Bryant Um, but in the in in the end he's clearly a priority free agent he signed for from what I was able to tell a $20,000 bonus and a $60,000 deal overall which is still pretty strong for a free agent I remember a couple years ago when Jake Browning signed his free agent deal, it was for like $140,000, which was like a record at the time. I don't know if it is now, but I mean, that'll show you just kind of the, the money that's involved in these things. But, you know, he clearly was a priority free agent for a lot of guys if he wasn't going to get drafted in, the, in those final rounds. And, and we just, are we ever going to know whether it was, whether it was health related, whether it was a personnel thing, whether it was, decision-making, whether it was, you know, it's just so hard to know. And maybe one of these days, years from now, we'll, we'll get a candid assessment from Hunter to, to find out exactly what he feels. I, you know, I don't think we're going to know right away. Hey, Scott, do you think I'm crazy? Because I think the one strength that Hunter had was I thought he was really good with the ball in his hands after the catch. And when you take a look at his size for tight end, it's not ideal. When you take a look at wide receiver, I don't think he's fast enough. Do you think I'm absolutely crazy to think he'd make one hell of a six foot two, 245-pound running back? Yes, he's not a running back. <laughs> he just isn't. He isn't He isn't quick twitch enough to, to be a running back at the next level. He really needs to find a niche as an H back in a, with a team. Um, I, I have compared him for the last year and a half to Chris Cooley, the H-back that was with the Washington Redskins for a little while, had a really good career there with Kirk Cousins throwing the ball to him, doing all those things that he did. And, and um, I think Hunter's going to have to find that, that kind of niche because I just don't – he's not going to be an end-line blocker, a very good one, at least for a while. He's not um, – he, he doesn't have the size to be able to get much bigger. I, that's another problem, too, is I think he might have maxed out physically. And – and I mean, the guy was so yoked coming into the University of Washington and he, he's, he really hasn't gotten more, more yoked, in my opinion. He's basically the same guy. So, um, you know, I, I, I would disagree with you, Kim. Um, you asked me if, if you were crazy. So, but uh, I would disagree with you. I don't think he can play running back at the next level. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, Chris, uh, Miles Bryant. I mean, we've dealt with Miles for four years at University of Washington. Um, always just an absolute – he's always fun to to. You always look forward to talking to Miles Bryant, and he puts out a tweet after the draft, you know. I had to earn it as a walk-on, and I'm going to have to earn it as an undrafted free agent, you know, and something like, you know, don't count me out or don't not bet on me, but uh, Miles Bryant going to New England. You going to bet against Miles Bryant at New England? Um, no, not with the defensive coaches that are there, obviously, with Bill Belichick and, and whatnot, for sure. I mean, he's he's going to be lined up in a, in a good situation there. And, um, you know, it, it, again, like, like Scott kind of alluded to with Hunter Bryant, it's fit. It all depends on how they want to use him and at least how New England used some offensive skill players that didn't seem to fit a certain mold, whether it was a – a Wes Welker or an Amendola or a, or a Scott or a Hogan or, you know, any of those types of guys, you could see maybe Miles Bryant being a Swiss Army knife type guy on defense. That's the way Washington like to use him. They could play him at safety, but they also like to bring him up and pressure at the line of scrimmage. So I think Bill Belichick looks at a guy like that and says, why not? Let's take a flyer on a guy that we know is gritty. It's tough. He may not be the biggest guy in the world, but he's going to take guys on and he's smart, and we can utilize him in a number of ways. So I really like the pickup. Um, Savan Ahmed, uh, $50,000 bonus uh, for San Francisco. Uh, no, 10, 10K bonus. Oh, was it 10K? 50000 total. Okay. Uh, didn't read that correctly. Sorry. But Savan Ahmed to San Francisco. Be reunited with his friend uh, Dante Pettis down there. Not real. Scott, are you convinced that Savan Ahmed really wants to play football? I mean, Savan has always loved to play football. I would be shocked if he is, if his heart wasn't in it. I think he really does want to play football. I just don't think that he's the dynamic athlete we all thought he was coming out of high school. Um, he put on a little bit of weight, and he got a little bit slower. Because one of the things when he came into the University of Washington was, hey, this guy gets in the open field. You're going to have to have elite speed to catch him. And at 4'6", four, 4'6", six, four, six, whatever he ran in, at uh, the combine, you know, maybe he plays a little faster than that, but it's not much. And and most of the DBs are going to run sub four five forties in the NFL, and most of the linebackers are going to be just as fast as he is. So, uh, is a team really going to take a you know expended draft choice on that guy when they can get him um, as a free agent? And and I think heading down to San Francisco, you know, I talked to some people who are pretty close to uh, Savon. And uh, it sounds like San Francisco were the ones who were talking to him the most throughout the entire process. And they had actually inferred that they might take him in the, on the third day of the draft and they ended up not needing to, and they, they signed him as a free agent. And, you know, he's only a what two hour flight down um, for his family to go see him play. And, and he's really big on sticking as close to his family as possible. It was one of the reasons he chose the university of Washington. So yeah, I'm, I would be surprised if his heart wasn't in playing football anymore. Um, and uh, I, I will, 
I will be pleasantly surprised if he ends up making the final roster, but I, I firmly believe he will end up making a practice squad, if not with San Francisco, then somewhere in the NFL for the next year or two, and hopefully he gets a chance to make a real roster. And, and uh, Chris, I, my biggest issue with Savon, and I love the kid, I think he's a great kid, but as a running back, he just seemed to shy away from contact a lot. Well, yeah, maybe at times. And other times he put his head down and, and did the business. So I, I just think that with, you know, with the questions about whether or not he, his heart was really in it or if he really loves football, I just think some of those came about also because, you know, he showed another side of himself when he put out some music and, and showed himself as an artist that way. And people see other sides of guys and go, oh, okay, this guy's, this guy's multidimensional. But does that mean, does that take away from the football piece? And I don't think that's ever been the case with Savon. I, I agree 100% with Scott. I think Savon's always been a football player at heart. I remember the first time we saw him at a uh, Barton football camp when he was in the eighth grade before he'd ever been to Juanita. And, you know, he showed that he even wanted it back then. And, and I know people were really bigging him up and, and talking big about him back then too. So I, I've never seen the fire go away from a guy like Savon Ahmed. I just think that, again, it's fit. It's it's can he be a, a versatile type of guy for an offense in San Francisco that really likes those kind of guys and they can get him out in space and get him uh, in a situation where he can utilize his biggest aspects to his game, which is really his speed and elusiveness. And Chris, um, Trey Adams, after his first year and a half at university of Washington, you were seeing mock drafts with him, you know, um, predicted and predicted as a top end draft pick in the NFL draft a couple of injuries really set him back, and he goes undrafted. If I would have told you that uh, he would have gone undrafted a couple of years ago, would you have bought that? No, not at all. Um, you're right. After after a couple of seasons at Washington, I mean, there were a lot of people that thought he was going to be a slam dunk first-round draft pick, and, and, and I would have been right there among them. I mean, he was – the trajectory of his career was such that it was going to be a no-brainer. I mean, when you talk about a guy that's 6'8", 315-plus pounds, who is a left tackle, starts as a true freshman, and does the things that he was able to do, hit the, there, the, 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 the ceiling for him was unreachable. I mean, he had so much potential. And then all of a sudden, one night in, uh, in Arizona, it all just goes to pot. And, and, and never, it just never felt like he was able to regain those things ever again physically. And then you couple that with, I, I don't want to get into the whole thing with what he said at the, at the combine. I think it, to me, those kinds of things are overblown. I know people want to point to that kind of stuff and go, oh, you know, that's just, uh, that's just crazy. And why would a team want to take a, a risk on someone who just says something that, that dumb and what have you. But, you know what? He was just caught in a candid moment. I get it. I don't think that I don't think that's how he suffered at all. And for as far as draft stock, I I honestly think everything had to do with his physical well-being at this point. His his running at the combine was such that it really put up a lot of red flags. And again, of all the guys that competed in Indianapolis, guys, Trey Adams really needed that Washington Pro Day more than anybody. He needed that pro day. He needed that medical recheck. And I yep. think all those things just crushed his draft status. 
And Scott, it sure looked like, you know, when he came back, you know, he added the weight. And I think he was probably closer to 340, um, you know, with the knee problem, the back problem. He seemed to develop heavy, heavy feet. You know, can you recover that? Oh, yeah. Well, it, you can recover it. But the problem is he's got a bad back, too. And when you have a bad back and, and you put on weight, and I just don't know if he's ever going to be able to get back to the guy who was a little bit lighter on his feet than, than what we saw over the last couple of years. So that's kind of, you know, it's kind of the uphill battle he's going to have to fight against. I still think he's talented enough to play. He's going to have to play right tackle, though, at the next level. Not, he is not a left tackle. He cannot handle speed rushers in space. Chris, we've only got a few minutes left, but uh, some of the other signing, Jared Hilbers to the New York Jets, um, Fuller to the Seattle Seahawks, Andre Pacelli to Kansas City, Benning Patoa-E to Tampa Bay, Brandon Wellington to Indianapolis. Any of those that jump out at you? Yeah, I think it's interesting that Jared Hilbers was able to parlay that into a, a apparently a 62,000 signing um, uh, contract with the New York Jets. I think that's fantastic for him. I think he is a guy that if you compare him to a Trey Adams, for instance, what's the cliche in football, especially at the pro level? It's, it's miles on the tires, right? And when you look at a guy like Jared Hilbers, there are not a ton of miles on those tires. And I think when you, when you compare him specifically to a guy like Trey Adams, he jumps out. And that's why I kind of thought in some ways when you look at the potential – of Hilbers compared to Adams, his, his, his star is still on the rise. So I think he's got a great chance there. I think Aaron Fuller at Seattle could be great. I made a post on there uh, on the boards about, um, you know, he's kind of taking the same path that Doug Baldwin took. Do I think he's Doug Baldwin? <laughs> I doubt it. I mean, there's not many Doug Baldwins out there, guys that are undrafted free, excuse me, free agents that go on and do the things that a guy like Doug Baldwin was able to, but, they're basically the same size. Fuller had better stats. You know, who knows what happens? And so that's the thing. You roll the dice, you take your chances. And if these guys can take their opportunities, that's all you can ask for. And you hope being in a system like Washington had with the built for life and the accountability and getting into the routines, you hope these guys are as set up as they can possibly be to take advantage of these opportunities. Scott, any of those guys jump out to you on any of those signings? Um, I think Andre Bocelli and Brandon Wellington, two guys who just weren't the most productive guys at the University of Washington during their time. And, uh, but still teams noticed that they were guys that they wanted to bring in. Um, there's, there's some conjecture that they actually signed free agent contracts and that they were possibly invited and invited guys to come in and do a tryout. But whatever it is, the fact that they're, they're on there, Hey, good for them. I'm happy for them. But uh, I think their production at the University of Washington, it, it surprises me a little bit that those guys are going to get an opportunity at the next level. Just a reminder, if you're looking for those uh, daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note. HuskyStadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will hook you up. Again, HuskyStadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. For all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.